Good afternoon. I would like to start with a small story, true story. Some time ago, I was watching a little boy play with a toy, and he broke the toy. He began to cry. So I went to him. I said, well, you better stop crying. He said, I don't want to stop crying. I said, well, then you should smile. It's hard to smile, he said. It's hard to smile. He doesn't want to cry. He had a problem. Now, this is almost my sermon today. Some of us, uh, they don't want to stop complaining or crying. And they find it so hard to smile or to be positive. Now, this is my sermon. In fact, I could just quit now and say, this is it. (laughs) I mean it. If you understood what I meant, that's the whole, the essence of my sermon. That's the life of every one of us because of the fact we just don't know when to stop crying or complaining, whatever it is. And we think it's so hard to be positive and to smile, to see the good sides of things. A, last, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Los Angeles. I preached over there. <laughs> and my sermon was the title, Who is Your Best Friend? Now, I want have that sermon here. But uh, some people were just uh, wondering who was their best friend. If you actually knew who your best friend really is, you should always smile. No doubt. You might have some ups and downs, a broken toy like this little boy, but you wouldn't think it's very hard to stop crying and would not be really be very hard smiling. That's what we... I think we just don't understand. In the church of God, we don't quite really realize who our best friend is and all the promises he has made to us and we just keep complaining or being sad or crying. Like a couple of weeks ago, my sermon today is not the title, Who is Your Best Friend? My title will be, Who is Your Worst Enemy? That's quite positive, isn't it? Well, it is. If you really think hard, who is your worst enemy? Let me perhaps give you another example. I'm sure you have heard the saying, there are three kinds of people on the face of the earth. Those who make things happen. Those who watch things happen. And those who say what happens. Okay, now that, from that point of view, who is your worst enemy? I'm sure you get the answer. I hope you get the answer. You see, oftentimes we don't realize that we are the ones who are just wondering what's happening. And we're too lazy to watch, or perhaps not interested, what's happening. And we are not qualifying ourselves because of our negative thinking, perhaps, to make things happen. You can do lots of things happen, brethren, in your own life if you want to. You can change lots of things if you want to. You can honestly start smiling and be happy and be be positive if you want to. But, like that little boy, you might say it's too hard to smile. I'm serious because of the fact the more I see, the more I travel, As the years pass in ministry, I can see more and more that 
are people in the church haven't caught the vision. In other words, why are we here? Why are we called for? What's the purpose? I remember time and again, Mr. Armstrong mentioned, this is the good news. You know, just the way he says, you just sort of, okay, I know. I want, I want to be part of it. Well, this is the good news. Now, you heard Mr. Ames' telecast preparing us for what? For the good news. So I don't think that some of us in God's church really have that wonderful expectation of this good news ahead of us. Because if you did have that type of expectation, I think it would change your views, your way of thinking. You'd be smiling more, be more positive, and see good, better things in life rather than just the other side of life. Because life is, there's no doubt, full of challenges. We have ups and downs, there's no doubt. But there's lots of people look at the downs and not the ups. That is not the reason God called us. God called us, you know why? He wants us to be ambassadors. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5. 20. He wants us to be ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? Ambassador represents his country. What do we represent? God's kingdom. What is God's kingdom? The good news of the world tomorrow. Now that's, that's your mission. If I am to be an ambassador for the good news, I cannot go around with a negative and crying face. I cannot face people with a negative attitude. If I do, then I'm a hypocrite, or perhaps I don't understand the meaning of my purpose. A true ambassador is one who really knows and understands and appreciates his mission. Again, I repeat, this is the end of my sermon, practically speaking. Because if you see the point, you are an ambassador for good news. And as such, you have to represent the good news. If you go around with a sad face, a negative attitude, people will say, what is the good news? First of all, go and find it yourself and come back and teach us. In Mark chapter 1, Christ gave the very purpose for his arrival, for his coming. And that was good news. Mark 1, verse 14. After John the Baptist was in prison, Christ came preaching what? The gospel. The gospel means good news. Again, brethren, just try to understand. That's the first thing Christ is doing. He comes and he starts his mission, his ministry, by preaching the good news. You and I, when we are called, when God called us to understand the good news, and to share it. The whole purpose for what we are here for, you heard the telecast, we have a mission. The mission is to preach that good news. And we have to be able to preach that good news in the right attitude, good attitude, happy disposition. I've seen so many people in the Church of God, and still do, 
People go around with all this sad outlook, sad countenance. You know, it breaks your heart because of the fact that she said, then you don't quite understand why you were called, do you? Sure, you have downs. All of a sudden, we have to be able to meet the challenge. Life is full of challenges. That's, that's for sure. Everyone knows that. You heard the things that are going to happen in the telecast again. We see, I'm glad when you see those things, I know what's ahead. Therefore, I'm prepared. Therefore, I don't have to worry ahead of time because I know this is going to happen. Therefore, I don't have to just sit down and cry. Brethren, again, I repeat, please understand. God wants us to preach the gospel, which is good news. And to be able to preach the good news, we have to be ourselves smiling and happy. Satan wants us to be unhappy. Satan will do anything in its power to just see that we will not do our job or do our job half-heartedly. If you are not really every day thankful to, for what you have, grateful for what you have, if you don't show a positive attitude toward what you have, I don't think you understand what the good news is. I think it's high time to just go back and start from scratch. Saying, God, please open my mind so I may see. Oftentimes, you know, when I talk to people, I say, look, you have a problem? So do I. You think it's too hard to solve your problem? Okay. Is there anyone else who can solve your problem? Yes. Then let him solve there's always one, and that's Christ, who can always, always solve our problems. If you have that type of faith, brethren, if you have that type of uh, understanding, then you will realize that your worst enemy is yourself. I ask you, who is your worst enemy? So your attitude, your bad attitude, your negative thinking, your just concerns, your fears, make you actually your own worst enemy. Think about it. Your lack of faith. You don't trust. Or you, have, you want to trust God, but you just don't know how. Well, my duty, I hope, this, morning, this afternoon is to show you how to get closer to God and to be a better servant of God by having a more positive attitude. It isn't really hard, you know. All through the Bible, God says we have to overcome. Overcome what? The enemy is sure. Well, if we, our own attitude is bad, we are so negative, then we, may, we should do the best we can to overcome our own doubts. I have seen more and more lately people doubting, people questioning, people wondering why the, the way the things we do today are different from what we used to do, and they begin to just question if we did the right thing a few years ago. Brethren, the Bible says something, and we did it, we do it, that's all that matters. I don't have to go and start asking myself, was it right or is it right? If the Bible says so, it is right. Now that, that to me, it's a starting point. Let me just take three verses in the Bible to start with. Verses we, out of these three, there's one we, which we cite more often, which is good. Nothing wrong with it. 
But you can't, I want you to see what comes before that verse and what comes after that verse. It's Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, we justly saw, quote, oftentimes, and I said it's right, we should read verse 33. God says, but seek first the kingdom of God. If I'm going to seek the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is good news, I cannot seek with a long face or negative attitude. I have to seek because I want to find it. He says, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. That is one part we oftentimes leave aside. God's righteousness. God wants us to understand. God wants us to grow in grace and knowledge. God wants us to appreciate. The moment you lose appreciation, you become sad. Your face gets longer and longer and you become like, like that little boy. You say, I don't want to stop crying. And you find very hard smiling. Now, you, if you have God's righteousness, God's way of, of doing things, or God's ways of understanding, loving each other, then you are seeking God's kingdom. And God says, look, now here's, here's, here's what comes afterwards. God makes a promise. He says, all the things you need should be added to you. From that moment on, I know God does not lie. If God says that if I do my share, he is going to bless me, what right do I have not to appreciate or to be doubting God? What right do I have to just uh, not to be happy? Let's face it, that's, that's what we are. Because either we make God a liar or we trust him, in which case we have to exactly do what he says. I'm seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness the way the best I can he describes them. From that moment on, I'll keep smiling. I will not say it is hard to smile. I hope you get the point. As I said, we come back to this little boy. That's a sermon. Now, this is the verse we quote. But now let's see what comes before, what goes afterwards. Just before that, verse 32. Christ said this, uh, Matthew 6.32. He says, talking about the things we need, he says, the Gentiles of the world seek those things, for your father knows, look at, look at the statement, your father knows that the things you need. Wait a moment, if God knows what I need, why do I have to worry? I mean, it's simple, isn't it? Because that's, again, those are the simple things before you seek the kingdom, have the assurance that God knows your needs. And God will supply for your needs if you do your share. So that's verse 32. And now let's see what verse 34 is. See, between the, the, the seek, seeking the kingdom is actually surrounded by two verses. Verse 34 is, therefore it says, if you're seeking the God's kingdom, don't worry. Wow. When I told that little boy to stop crying, he says he didn't want to stop. Likewise, oftentimes, we don't want to stop worrying. I mean this. I've had so many times talking to people, and I see the problem, I try to encourage, but in their own minds, they want to continue worrying. 
It almost has become part of their nature to worry. All through Matthew 6, Christ says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. God knows what you need. And then we still keep worrying. Actually, we're breaking God's commandment, is it not? He says, don't worry, says, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And then, that last sentence is very interesting. So, do you have problems? Everyone has. He says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's one way of looking at it again. Christ knew what it means to be a human being. He was on earth. So he's telling us, look, this is the way to go. You will have problems every day, but let today's problems remain today, and tomorrow it's a better day. At Ambassador College, this is what we try to teach the students. How to live. How to be happy. We had a, honestly speaking, without criticizing anyone or anything, we had a happier disposition as a whole. There was less, perhaps, materialism around us. We were less concerned about, perhaps, we were so eager to see the end come that we had a happier disposition. Today, as a, generally speaking, we are less happy. We have more worries. Why? The truth hasn't changed. God's word hasn't changed. And God means what he says, and we still have to overcome. So let's overcome our worst enemy, which is ourselves. I won't go to Revelation, but you know, all the way to Revelation, the, the seven churches, every church, after receiving from God instructions, is given one warning. It says, you better overcome. Those who overcome will succeed. Now, you understand perhaps what we're driving at. You and I have problems, have a challenge, challenge of life. We can see around it. You know, I was looking <laughs> the other day, part of this speech of Mr. Kerry gave. It's strange. And all the, way, all the way through, people attack each other rather than just praise each other. It would be wonderful if those who are being elected, let's say, for an office, praise each other. He's doing a good job. I, I will try to do a better job. Or something like that. Was rather than attack, attack, attack. Rather than attacking someone is not going to make you better. Try to be better yourself by overcoming yourself. So that's the way we have to understand in God's church. We have to actually not look around, not to attack someone or criticize the world. And we do. Look down on people as we do, rather than just saying, look, what can I do to make things around me happier? How can I be a, a smiling ambassador? A title? I don't think should have like that title, but nice, smiling ambassador. Or you're worse than me. I don't know. Mr. Ames would be the one who gives titles, you know, or sermons. Well, Let's come back. So how can I pull myself out of this negative, let's say, uh, moods? Always remembering God's promises. That's another title. God's promises. Look at this. If I can't remember God's promises, and every one of them is good, if I do my share, why do I have to worry? So when you are down, when you really have difficulties, remember God's promises. 
I have a list of, I don't think I will ever be able to finish this in one sermon. I have seven promises of God. Maybe I'll finish two or three, I don't know. But see what, there it is. Take time and just take one promise of God and start studying. Now I gave you one or two already here. God says, he knows your needs. If God knows my needs, that's all that matters. God says, don't worry. Right? <laughs> It'd be hard to say, sir, I'm sorry, but I want to, I want to, I want to worry. That little boy didn't want to stop crying. So I, I don't want to stop crying. Okay, then. So, believe it or not, that's the way we act as far as God is concerned. He says, don't worry, and we still worry. How many of us this morning as we got up had worries in our minds? I'm not saying deny if you're sick or whatever it is. I'm not saying don't that. But still, you see, those things preoccupy our minds rather than God's kingdom. That's the reason why sometimes we are slow growing. Now, brethren, let's come to, the, to God's promises. And study some of them because each promise of God will help us meet the challenge of life. Life is full of challenges, I repeat. But how do you face? You know, Ambassador College motives was how to learn, learn how to live and not how to make a living. That, that's a wonderful principle. In the Church of God, all of us have to learn how to be happier, how to live happier, and not how to succeed in the jobs necessary. We do. One doesn't do away with the other, but at least we have to be able to understand that there is a reason, there is a purpose. If I am not a shining example, a light as Christ said, I'm not a good ambassador. If I'm not a good ambassador, then there's something I have to work on or else. That little boy, come back to him again, either had, he had to make up his mind, either he has, he has to stop crying or start smiling. That's all there is to it. That's exactly what you and I should do. There is no in-between, brethren. Sure, unemployment, sicknesses, tragedies, I know. Those things do happen. But we can still face those challenges with the right, positive, Christ-like attitude. We heard in the telecast Abraham. Let me... You can cite Abraham in so many ways. Because the example he gave, when God gave him an answer, question, told him something, he said, okay, sir, I'll do it. Wow. He didn't say, now, wait a moment, I can give you five reasons why I should not. That's exactly what the way we think. We give reasons why we cannot do something. Rather than saying, all right, I'll try, I'll do it. Next time you have a job, whatever it is, try to see why and how you can do it. But oftentimes, you will see that you start with the negative approach. Here are the reasons why I cannot do it. From that moment on, <laughs> you have problems. Try, eliminate first the negative aspect and then start doing the positive. You'll be surprised how easy it gets. In, let me just go to Proverbs, first of all. Proverbs, there are so many Proverbs which deal with the matter. Uh, chapter 12. 
Proverbs chapter 12, verse, uh, I think it's 21, I have in mind, 23, I think, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, a, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of the fools proclaims foolishness. Now, God speaks often of the heart of someone. But now look, in Proverbs 15, speaking about the heart, Proverbs 15, verse 13, look what God says about the merry heart, joyful heart. Proverbs 15, verse 13. A merry, a merry heart, now we're talking about joyful attitude, makes a cheerful countenance. It shows on your face. When Christ says, be a light, there it is. You have to be a merry heart, makes a cheerful countenance. But, this, but by sorrows is of the heart, the spirit is broken. Interesting, isn't it? You, you break your spirit by the sorrow of your heart, your attitudes. Same uh, Proverbs chapter, I guess it's uh, a little bit later. Well, let's look, let's leave it all because I've got so many other Proverbs here, but let's continue. Uh, well, let, more, let, me, let me get one more. <laughs> Proverbs uh, chapter 15, verse uh, 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth. Look at this. The way you speak, the way you talk, the way you express yourself. You're talking about the kingdom of God, all right? The way you express, people know that you feel it. But if you're talking about the kingdom of God, we the saying, well, I think it's going to come, all right, but I don't know. It's going to be a thousand years of millennium here. It's going to be very nice, you know. I'm sorry, but that's the way sometimes we act. If we have a thousand years of wonderful time, it's a wonderful world tomorrow. That's all there is to it. Shout with joy. And the word is spoken says, in due season, how good it is. There are a lot in, in the Proverbs, as I mentioned. Right, come, let's come back to Abraham. What of his qualities were Abraham did not complain. Every time you begin complaining, you are not in the right disposition to be in a good attitude. You might have a good job, but you might find someone else who has better jobs, so you look elsewhere. You might have a good family, but you might find someone else who has a better family, or more children, you look elsewhere. Never satisfied with what you have. And that makes, does not make a merry heart. Be satisfied with what you have. That's the whole principle again. God says, don't worry. In due time, all the things you need, God is going to give it to you. I would say that if you don't have this attitude of cheerfulness, actually you're lacking faith. You're mistrusting God. You're disobeying God because God says, don't worry. If you keep worrying, then you actually you have made up your mind to disobey God. I know those are strange words, but you, you, we have, sometimes we have to be strong because of the fact it's high time we just start doing things. As time goes on, brethren, as we get closer to the end, we have to be more and more cheerful. More and more inspiring to others. More and more, shall I say, smiling the right way. 
As things get tougher, we have to be more cheerful. Not because they are tougher, but because we know that the end is near and that God is with us and God has promised us to his protection. God will never let us down. So why, why, why do I have to worry? It's the right perspective, as you can see. Right? Abraham was a man in Romans chapter 4, a verse which I like it so well because in Romans chapter 4, Paul describes exactly the meaning of true faith. If you have faith and you trust God, then you know that all things do work together. But look what it says. Abraham was a man, verse chapter 20, Romans 4. He did not waver at the promise of God. Do you? Do you waver at the promise of God? If you don't have the right confidence, if you don't have that positive attitude, I think you are wavering. The true unbelief. If God has said something in the Bible, we have to believe. If we believe, then act accordingly. Abraham, act accordingly. He did not doubt God. He knew that God meant what he said. And that gave him, gave him the strength he needed. And believe it or not, that was counted for him, verse 21, as part of God's righteousness. He was, he was fully convinced that what God has promised, God is able to do. This is it. To me, that just about covers the whole thing. If God has promised something, he can do it, that's all. From that moment on, if you live that way, think that way, act that way, then things happen around you. I have seen so many examples around me in the ministry. When things have changed their attitude, people have changed their ways of looking at things, and circumstances have changed. You create your own circumstance. You create your own misery. You create your own unhappiness. You can't take two people having the same belongings or material goods. One will have a better attitude than the other because it all depends the way they look at what they have, the way they appreciate, the way, the way they express their appreciation. So I should say, look, if you have a problem, Sit down and start looking in the Bible some of God's promises. As a Bible study, I should say, group God's promises. And then, when times comes to, time comes to go back to them, just take your notes and take one by one God's promises. You'd be surprised how much you will get out of it. Let me give you one or two. As I said, I don't know how many I can give. I, most of the time I'm, I'm giving you God's promise, promises anyway. But Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. A moment ago we saw what Christ said about seeking the kingdom, how not to worry. In Matthew chapter 6, Christ gives another command. Which we already saw a part of. Verse 7. 
talking about. He says, but when he says when you do something good, uh, verse uh, three. I'm sorry, Matthew six verse three. So when you do something good, he says, do it in such a way that people around you, I'm paraphrasing, don't don't know that you're doing it, and says you will have your reward. And then he goes a bit further on, Matthew chapter six, and he gives us some very important lessons to remember at time of difficulties or problems. He says, verse 8, Therefore, says, do not be like them, that people in the world who, who don't have the faith, for your father knows, that we saw this before, you remember? He repeats again, for father, your father knows what things you have in need of before you ask him. And that's quite an important statement. If God knows what I need before even I ask Him, I have to change my ways of praying, isn't it? In other words, rather than asking, saying, begging, please, please give me, know that God knows and approach the subject from a different angle. You say, how? Well, that's not the subject, subject of the sermon. But see, if God knows... I'm asking him, but I should ask him in such a way that it will make me be more positive in my attitude. Not begging, but knowing that, knowing that God will provide what I need if I do my share. Oftentimes, we don't know how to pray, really. I remember some time ago, I gave a sermon, and I was in Pasadena. And I, I was telling about the problems I had and my subject was about prayer and faith anyway and afterwards uh, someone came a friend of mine, minister he says, you know, he says, I like your sermon but I understand your problem, but did you pray about it? I said, wait a moment I've, I've been talking to you, I prayed about it I, that's what my sermon was about he says, you asked me did I try to pray? You know what? It, it made me think. After giving a whole sermon about praying and so forth, the man said, did you try to pray about your problem? So I went home and I started meditating. You know, that's exactly it. I was not praying the right way. I just didn't know how to pray about it. If God knows my problem, if I'm going to present it to him, I should present in such a way that I too would be convinced. I never forget, as I said, every time when I think about prayer, I said, well, am I praying about something the right way? And I try to meditate so that I could improve the way I present my needs to God. Anyway, let's continue. See, oftentimes, when people ask something of God, when you pray, in your own mind, you are not convinced you are going to get it. Let, let's be honest. When you are anointed, I don't know how often you are 100% sure that God is going to hear your prayers or pray over ministry. You may hope, that's fine. But see, we don't have enough faith. I'm not saying it's wrong because we are all weak, I know that. But we can have more faith, more conviction that God knows, God is willing to. That's what I'm driving at. Because we, uh, we are weak, I know, but we can't do better. So, brethren, 
if you really appreciate what you have, then somehow things work out better. Our forefathers never did. Israelites never did. They did never they never left Egypt. They took Egypt along with them. They took along their complaints, their problems, and therefore they did not receive God's blessings in full. That, that's what your life is, my life is. You and I we left quote unquote Egypt, the world. We still are carrying this Egypt with us. We still are still concerned as to how God is going to provide us. Look, you know, as a minister, we know it. Some people ask, when will the end come? I don't know. Confidentially, I don't care. Because that God knows, and whether I know or not, what does it matter? All I have to be, I have to be sure that I am ready today. And that's what that matters. What good is it if I am able to be, to know where we're going to go, how soon the end will come if I am not there? So you see, we have to get that right way of thinking. In Matthew, Matthew, back to Matthew chapter 6 again, look, another way of praying. Another way of being in the right, shall I say, positive way. Christ, when he gave the example of a prayer, he says, look, verse 12. Uh, the verse 11, rather. Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm sure you know this, but I have spent lots of time on this verse. Talking to people. Explaining to people their problems. Because when people come to you or to us, and we all have problems, I repeat, but they are concerned about tomorrow. God is not saying, ask what you need tomorrow. Look, God says, ask for daily bread. That too gives you a different atmosphere. Most of us here are so concerned about the future, we don't quite live in the present. That's the reason why we don't appreciate the present, because our eyes are where they should not be actually. It's nice to know what's going to happen. It's nice to be interested, yes, but live the present. Appreciate the present. That's how you can be uh, in a better attitude. So Christ says, give us our daily bread. If you have a job today, thank God. Don't say, well, I may lose it tomorrow. You may or may not. If you have a nice family, appreciate it. Don't say, well, one of us can't get sick. See, when those things happen, that's the way we look. I have seen that's the way people reason. That's the way human mind reasons. That's why I say we are our own worst enemies. Change your ways of thinking. You know, Paul was such a positive person. With all the sufferings, he was always he had happy disposition. He's the one who talks about joy more than anyone else did. In Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four, there's so much we can learn about Paul and Paul's about the life itself when we study Paul's way of thinking and acting and being a Christian. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Now, that's another promise. Philippians 4, 19. And my 
God, that's my God, your God, a God we worship, shall supply all your need. That's a promise. According to his riches in glory by Christ. One little verse answers all the questions. If God promises that he's going to supply all our needs according to his wisdom and glory and riches, why do I have to worry? Unless you be like the little boy again, I repeat, I don't want to stop crying. So, brethren, you, you would better stop crying. And you better start laughing. Right? Let me give you another promise. There you go, time. I have seven of them. I only have so far covered one. I, I, I won't retain, don't worry. I'll, I'll stop exactly before my time is up. Okay, promise number two, let's say. I don't know, I couldn't say number two, five, because I quoted quite a few promises. But this is one which I have difficulty understanding. I understand the difficulty, shall I say, I would say believing, I believe that, but difficulty living by it. First Corinthians. Because, you know why? Because it makes me guilty. Because I know the answer and I still worry. And that makes me really mad at myself because, again, I become my own, my own enemy. Because I know what God is telling me. I know he doesn't lie. I know it's a promise. Why do I keep worrying? First Corinthians chapter 10. Look at the power of this promise. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse uh, 13. That's very strong. He says, no temptation or trial, whatever you want to call it, has overtaken you except such as is common to man. In other words, you have problems, so do I. You have difficulties, so do I. So did Paul. So did everyone else. So did Christ in, some, in certain ways. So, Paul says, look, Okay, you have ups and downs, everyone has it. Now let's continue what we can do. It's common, he says to man, but God is faithful. Now there's your positive attitude. Through your difficulties, look at God. God is faithful. Faithful in what? In his promises. He says, who will not, and that's if God says he will not, he will not, he, he keeps his promise, he will not allow you to be Tried beyond what you are able. If that is the case, brethren, from that moment on, you can never say this is too much to bear. Let's face it. The moment you say this is too much to bear, then you are making God a liar because God says you will never be tempted or tried beyond your capacity. See, I mean, that's, I'm talking to myself and to you. We're all on the same boards. Because that's what I meant. We don't have that type of assurance. We don't read as though God says that I, I'm not going to show you be tried, but you, you'll never be tried beyond your capacity. If that is, that is the case, why do I have to worry about? Who will, verse 13 again, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, who will not allow you to be tried beyond, but with every trial or temptation will also make the way of escape. Now look at that. That's a promise. 
If God says so, then God is going to keep his promise. I don't have to be concerned about it. If I do, then I'm disobeying God. See that challenge all the time. And this God is, the Bible is full of this type of promises. If God says he will provide the way of escape, then why do I have to worry? You know, I guess I gave you some time ago, I, in the sermon I gave, I said, look, set the time in your daily schedule for everything. As Solomon says, there's a time for everything. Well, set the time about worry. Set the time, let's say, in a day from 4.30 in the morning, if you want to, or evening, from 4.30 to 5 o'clock, I'm going to reserve that time to worry. All my worries will be all together in that time. <laughs> Try it. At least, at least you're, you're satisfying your human ego. <laughs> and you know what? When, t- when time comes, you say, let's see, what am I worrying about anyway? <laughs> but the fact that oftentimes you are interrupted in your own job because of you, are, you, you are concerned, you, are, you worry about things which aren't really necessary. That's why I say we are our, our worst enemy. And we can't overcome with God's help. And that's what the whole Bible study is. That's what Christ wants us to do. He wants us to learn. Christ will not allow any one of us to be tried beyond our means. Now, sometimes it's so far, you don't know how far it goes. I've seen people very, very sick. Near death. And we pray, and we expect God to heal. And sometimes, the last minute, I've seen this, Miracle happened. But there was a time when there's no more hope left. It reminds me of a story in the Bible, Daniel chapter 3. How how far sometimes God will allow us to go before he answers the question or prayer we have. You have asked God certain things and you expect him to answer and you don't get an answer. And you ask again, you don't get an answer. You give up. No, we're never supposed to give up because so long as you know that God has promised something, you keep at it. That's a proper attitude. God says he's going to do it, then let's do it. Now here, an extreme case. How far is far? How far it is impossible? Daniel chapter 3. To me, this, this is an example which is Fantastic. Because none of us has gone through this type of an experience in life. Those three were admonished by the king, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, verse 16, Daniel 3, because they wanted to obey God. They did not want to worship other gods. So they were punished. Okay. Are you going to be punished because of your faith? Yes. God says so, and God let, allowed this happen. So those three were praying to God, and look at their attitude. They told the king, he says, verse 16, Daniel 3, he says, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, We have no need to answer you in this matter. The king wanted them to disobey God. Those three said, Look, we don't have to talk about that subject. Let's talk about something else. What was that something else? Verse 17. Look at this one. 
if that is the case, in words, if God will not intervene, our God whom we serve is able to deliver. That, that, that's, that's faith from you. And he will. That gets you stronger and stronger. You expect this type of a faith. You say, well, right, miracle happened right away. No, miracle did not happen right away. That's strange, isn't it? Look at the attitude. It says, our God will deliver us from your hands, O king. And then they go one step further. But if not, that's, that's even stronger. We know God is going to intervene, but even if he didn't, then what's going to happen? If not, as we will not serve you. When you come to this point, brother, then of course you can be thrown into the furnace, burning furnace, and God will deliver you. That's what happens. God intervened at a time when there was no hope. None whatsoever. It was too late, humanly speaking. But like Abraham, he hoped against hope. Those three hoped against hope. And they were delivered. They came out of the furnace without being burned. So God sometimes will answer at the time you don't even expect. It's, it's beyond our expectation. In 1 Peter chapter 3, here's some another subject that I would like to also take it in this sermon because of the fact oftentimes, brethren, we think that we are God's children, which is true, that God loves us more than God loves the other people in the world. It may be so or may not be so. But it depends upon our attitude. If you look down on people because they are not called yet, if you don't treat them as God's children in the making, you cannot have that positive attitude. I think one of the reasons why we don't have this cheerful attitude is because we don't appreciate people around us, for whatever we can do to help them. Or, see, because I know this is a world of wretchedness. I know that. But there are lots of good things some people do. And especially friends we have. I've seen, you know, people in the world, they've been so nice to us. Well, I want them to know that I appreciate by giving them something that I can give, perhaps sharing my joy, my my understanding. But sometimes I've seen this pattern in, in the church of God. I've seen families when one mate is converted, the other mate is not converted, and the one who is not converted is the one who says, Sir, I don't understand. You people preach appreciation. My husband doesn't appreciate me because I'm not in, in your church. If that happens to you or to any one of us, there's something wrong with us. And that's, that too, it's the wrong way of going. See, God wants us to be a shining light. Well, look what Peter says. First Peter chapter 3. Because I, I, I do mean this, sometimes we do look down on people. And because they are not converted, they, are not, they don't understand. From that moment on, we are in the wrong attitude. From that moment on, our prayers might not be, may not be answered. From that moment on, we are in a negative attitude. For whom did Christ die? 
for Abraham, for you, for me, for your enemies. Christ died for everyone. And that's something you have to have in mind when you look around and you see the wretchedness of men, of mankind. Just say, Christ died for these people. They don't have it right now, but Christ died for them. From that moment on, you try to act Christ's way. First Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Well, let's go back to verse 14. It said, but even said you should suffer for righteousness' sake. First Peter 3, 14. If you, in God's church, converted, should suffer for righteousness' sake, he says, you are blessed. Do you believe it? If that is the case, why do I have to worry? Why do, do I have to be concerned? You see, that, because we don't believe in God. We don't trust God enough. We don't take God's words as though those are strong promises. God says that if, you're, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And then verse 17. First Peter 3, verse 17. It is better, he says, to, it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know, it reminds me of a story where quite a few things happened in my life like this, but a long time ago, there was a, we were in the feast in France, and uh, one of the men, he said, you know, he says, my wife hates the church. So why? Well, he says, because first of all, uh, you people, he says, we all go to the feast every year for seven days, and she doesn't like that. I said, why don't you take her along? She doesn't want to come. Okay. And, uh, and, then, and she doesn't want me to go. I said, well, what do you do? Well, I go anyway. I said, fine. But then what? Oh, he says, nothing. Then I come home and we fight. Interesting. So, <laughs> I said, look, next time, let's try something else. We know that your wife is not going to come. That's for sure. All through the year, try to just express to your wife your appreciation. Do you love your wife? He said, yes, I do. Do you appreciate her? Yes, I do. All right, then show her all that all through the year. In a strong way. And when the feast time comes, you say, you know what to say? Ask her again if she says she doesn't want to come. Every day, send her, send her flowers, roses, saying, I love you. You know, miracle happened. The woman didn't expect this. For seven days, she gets from her husband. He hasn't done that for years. Every year, roses. I love you. I love you. I love you. I miss you. The following year, she came to the church to the feast with her. You know, those are the, those are the things that do happen, and we don't quite appreciate those things because we don't do our our part. So, don't look down on people. Your job and my job is to help people and not to treat them as, as enemies. All right, let's get another one from verse number three, then I'll stop afterwards. This is a good one because that's a very simple one. I've seen more people who have left the church claiming they don't leave the church because they don't like God 
They leave the church because they don't like some people in the church. Interesting. This is God's church. Who is the head of the church? Christ is. If you leave the church because you don't like some of the people in the church, does this make sense? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that you and I are guilty, we should be more likable, let's say. But from the other point of view, Christ made a very strong statement. Look at it. First John chapter 4. That is very, to me, this is a really very profound commandment. First John chapter 4. Verse, uh, let's start from verse 19, verse 20. First John chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God, okay, we all say that. Those who left the church also said, I love God. But, and hates his brother, or doesn't like his brother, is a liar. And now we have a problem. You cannot leave the church because you love God and you don't love your neighbor. If you love God, you also have, you have to love your neighbor. Otherwise, you are in the wrong attitude. Otherwise, you, are, you have this negative thinking. See, those are, the, those are our problems. And John says, the one who, is, who loves, if he says he, has, does, he cannot love his brother, how can he love God, I'm paraphrasing, whom he cannot see? Brethren, let's come to what I'm saying here now. Look, in this respect, when you look around, when you have people around you in the family or perhaps in, in your, at your job, People who are not, who don't share your faith, don't look down on them. Otherwise, it's going to backfire. Try to just show them that you appreciate them. Try to make them see that, yes, God is real to us, but it, it might also be very real to them from their point of view. But it all depends the way you are showing your religion to other people. Matthew chapter 5, let me, perhaps this is perhaps clear. Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount, it's a beautiful example of showing how to truly be Christian in the letter and of course in the spirit. And if every one of us in God's church practice Matthew 5, 6, 7, we will be much happier people. We'll be walking around in the office, smiling, happy faces. We'll be doing our jobs, whatever, however difficult the job, with a wonderful attitude. We're doing something, preparing God's kingdom to come. What else do you want? I mean, you know, this is great. But we don't always act that way. We just are doing a job and not appreciating the job. Whatever job you're doing for anyone outside of the church, doesn't matter, or in the church, do it with all your heart because whatever you do, you're doing in, to glorify God in your attitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, Christ is showing us the true love. As I said a moment ago, you see, 
Christ died for everyone, John chapter 3, verse 16, we know, we know by heart, John 3, 16, Christ died for everyone. So, everyone has a chance. And now Christ said, here I give you a new commandment. Just the other day, someone called me and says, well, I, I don't see anything new in this commandment. I said, I know you don't, but I said, because you don't practice it. He knew what I had in mind. So the fact is that the new commandment is that, look, you have to love your neighbor as yourself, but you also have to, have to love your enemies. In the Old Testament, they didn't, in the like, carnal mindedness, they could not love their enemies. And Christ said, look, you have to do something else. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. That's, that's a tough one. That's a difficult one. He says, But I say to you, Matthew 5, 44, Love your enemies. That's hard. That little boy, it was hard for him to smile. It's hard for us to love our enemies. Why? Because we don't want to. Because we see the bad in it. Because we see the wrong. Yes, there is wrong. But there is also wrong in us. So, we have to love our enemies, not their ways, but our enemies as human beings. So many of us in the Church of God, if we had this attitude toward others, we would have a much happier lives ourselves. Much happier, shall I say, disposition. Christ says, God, but love your enemies. And he says, that's pretty hard, isn't it? Bless those who curse you. Boy, that's pretty. That's tough. That's really hard. You're going to bless someone who's going to curse you. Have you tried it? If you can't think of someone who does not love you, whatever your disposition toward him, could you say that, look, I'm going to really go, I'm going to pray for him. And then I'm going to do whatever I can to help him. Don't he, that he could be blessed. Try it. It's hard. But again, that little boy, it was hard for him to smile. So, he says, pray for those. Bless them. Do good to those who hate you. You know, you can take every one of those verses here and just meditate. You have problems, Sit down and read Matthew 5, verse 44. And see how much of this you are practicing in your life and you forget your problems. Before you know it, you start thinking of something else because you realize that you are not the spiritually speaking ready to be in God's kingdom. So you better work on yourself. It says, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And then what is your reward? That, he said, that you may, you may be sons of your father. Look at the condition. That's the condition for being in God's kingdom. Brethren, there are so many examples like this I can give you because of the fact we know those things. We see those things. And then we keep going around or about doing our little things. And summing up, as I said, I won't... I'll leave the other promises for some other time, but let's turn to Luke. 
Luke chapter 12. God has called you and me for a job. God has called us for a for a mission, for a purpose. And God wants us to be happy, believe it or not. God even says, I don't want you to die in Ezekiel, do you remember? You won't find any promises of God in the Old Testament and the New, where God says, if you obey me, you will be cursed. You won't find that. On the other hand, you will find all the way through the Bible, if you obey me, you are going to be blessed. Blessed means to be happy. Oftentimes in the Bible, when you have the words blessed and happy, they are synonymous. Check it. Likewise, the words brother and neighbor, neighbor most, most of the time are synonymous in the Bible. God says you love your neighbor, not necessarily your brother. So, when you start thinking about that way, you will realize, look, God has called you for a big purpose. To be part of the preaching of the gospel, whatever your position, doesn't matter. 1 Corinthians 12, you know that. doesn't matter what your job is. You have a job to do. Thank God for it. Appreciate that job. Do that job with a smiling face. Come to the office with a smiling attitude. If you're outside, working outside, the same doesn't matter. Go and appreciate the people with whom you are working. Don't criticize them. Don't look down on them. Just say, well, I'm glad I have a job. Your happy disposition will be inspiration to them. Oftentimes, you'll find people turning to you, asking questions about your religion, if you have this type of a disposition. You'll be surprised. That's why we say when you go especially to the feast, and we'll be going having the feast pretty soon, have that type of attitude. People will appreciate. They'll say, well, what is your God? What is your religion? So show, just live that religion. So God called you and me for good news, to preach it. We are the ambassadors for that good news. And by so doing, we are being saved. That too, it's an interesting statement in the Bible. You know, Paul said, you are saved. No, that's a mistranslation. In the Greek language, you have progressive tense, which means you are being saved. When you go back to that verse in Ephesians, it is you are being saved. So, you and I today are being saved as we do our work. We are being saved as we preach the gospel, as we grow in grace and knowledge. We are being saved as we love our neighbors ourselves, including our enemies. That's the process. It's all the way through. Now here we have, as I said, a good news. A good news to preach around the world. Whatever your job, within the church or without the church, doesn't matter. There's a job to be done. We are ambassadors. I remember time and again, Mr. Armstrong explained what ambassador was at the college. I remember so we said, look, he says, man, let's really act as ambassadors. 
Some did, some didn't. The question is, where are we today? Do we really appreciate God's calling? If so, stop complaining, accusing, finding faults. Christ is there, do you remember? Always have eyes on Christ. If you really understand God has called us for this mission to preach the good news, then you act happy, in a happy way. You can't preach the good news with a sad voice, no way, or sad face. You can't. So let's act that way. Let's let everyone know that this is, it is really this is the church, church of God. That's what makes the difference between the church of God and those who are not truly church of God. Because we are actually doing what God says. As I said, if you have problems, we do, all of us have, go back to the Bible. Get the promises of God. One by one study them. Write them down, jot them down, just go over, meditate the way I'm doing right now. Just see, try to penetrate. God says, don't worry, then stop worrying. That's a commandment. He says, don't worry. Christ said time and again, don't worry. And then he gives examples of the, how, the, how God takes care of the birds. In the sky and so forth. So you see, we know those things. But what good is it if we don't do what God says. Luke chapter 12. Christ is talking about the good news for which you and I are called. Christ is telling us all the problems we're going to have and you heard in the telecast, yes, we are going to have difficult days. But Christ is promising, look, I know your needs. If God knows, that's all that matters. Christ says he's going to supply our needs. I, you believe that? You can't be in a negative attitude. And then Christ gives the, the ultimate promise. Luke chapter 12. Again, he repeats verse 30. Talking about the thing in the world. He says, Don't, he says for all those things, he says, the nations of the world seek after and repeats again in Luke. And Father knows your need. You need those things. He says, seek the kingdom of God. And all the things should be added to you. And then he says, do, verse 32, do not fear, little flock. That too is a commandment. God says, don't fear. Now, I, I don't fear. Okay, what do I do now? What is the promise? Look. In every time God gives, an, God gives a commandment, an order, there's always a reason why, and he explains more often than not. God says, don't fear. What is the reward? Look at it. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If that is the case, and that is the case, brethren, why do you have to worry? So next time when you start counting your problems or being disturbed about your problems, I repeat, just take time and open the Bible and take God's promises. Read them, study them, and believe them. You'll be surprised how easily you will overcome your problems.